In case you don't know, my name is Andrew. I'm the campus minister with RUF. Thanks for being here tonight. Um, we're going to look at another passage in Lamentations because we're still in our series called Good Grief. Um, so if you have a Bible, uh, and I think uh, Harrison's going to pass out the handout or send out the PDF, uh, you can turn to Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 19 through 24 tonight. Now, some of you guys, I'm sure, are probably familiar with the hymn, Come Thou Fount. Uh, if, if you're not, that's how the song starts, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Uh, but the second line says, Tune my heart to sing thy grace. And, and Lamentations is this book that helps tune our hearts to sing of God's grace, really in the widest, broadest range possible. And so I want to start tonight with an absurd question. Who would you rather hear perform in a karaoke bar? Mariah Carey or Mickey Mouse? Christina Aguilera or Severus Snape? I, this, I know this is a ridiculous question, but really, who would you pick? You know, love Mickey, love Severus Snape as you, as you might. Although if you're reading Harry Potter and you're like, I love Severus Snape, we might need to have a conversation. Um, but of course you're going to pick Mariah Carey or Christina Aguilera, right? Uh, because their range is much wow. And uh, if you don't get that reference, you can Google it later. Um, but, but listening to them, listening to Mariah, listening to Christina would be a much richer, fuller experience because of their range than say listening to Mickey or Snape. And the author of Lamentations knows this, which is why in Lamentations 3, he invites us to explore and to develop the range of our hearts. So look with me at this passage. If you've got the PDF, you can pull it up. It says Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 19. This is God's word. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On June 11th, 1983, Nicholas Waltersdorf, who is a prominent Christian philosopher, he actually currently teaches at Yale, he lost his son, Eric, to a tragic mountain climbing accident. Eric was only 25. And several years after Eric's death, a still grieving Nicholas wrote a book called Lament for a Son, which is this beautifully raw and honest exploration of his pain, 
his doubts, and his faith. And in this small book, he describes something that he calls suffering love. Suffering love. Allow me to read just an excerpt, a small excerpt from this book. Dr. Walterstorff writes, we are one in suffering. Some are wealthy, some are bright, some athletic, some admired, but we all suffer for we all prize and love. And in this present existence of ours, prizing and loving yield suffering. Love in our world is suffering love. Some do not suffer much though, for they do not love much. Suffering is for the loving. If I hadn't loved my son, there wouldn't be this agony. This, said Jesus, is the command of the Holy One. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In commanding us to love, God invites us to suffer. Lamentations presents us with songs of suffering love. And nowhere is this more evident than in this passage that we're looking at tonight, verses 19 through 24 of chapter 3. Because here in the span of six verses, we descend into the depths of grief and rise to the very heights of hope and love. And these are our two points for tonight. So first, we're going to explore deep grief, our deep grief, and then second, God's everlasting love. So deep grief and everlasting love. And as we look at these two things, we're going to tune our hearts to sing songs of suffering love. So first, deep grief. As you look over verses uh, 19 and 20, actually, before we do that, I want us to take a step back and point out something really beautiful about how Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, is put together, how it's structured. We said last week that this book is a collection of poems which have been recited and sung in worship for thousands of years. And each chapter in our English Bibles is a separate poem. So each chapter is a separate poem. But did you know that each poem is an acrostic? If you have a Bible handy, you can flip through the book of Lamentations and see that chapters one, two, and four all have 22 verses. And that's because the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. Each verse has a letter. And then in chapter three, chapter three has 66 verses because in that chapter, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet gets three verses instead of just one. So instead of A, B, C, and so on, chapter three is A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 throughout. This is why, if you remember last week's outline, acknowledge what's happened, bring God and others in, and cry, that outline was an acrostic. It's to mirror what is going on in this book of Lamentations. And we just are gonna continue the acrostic tonight with D and E, deep grief and everlasting love. Now, besides being maybe something kind of cool or interesting, something you can go and tell your friends about after a large group, why does this matter? I would say it matters because acrostics, like think about it, acrostics promote completeness. 
or fullness. Yeah, a good example of this is Psalm 119, which is probably the most famous acrostic in the Bible. And that Psalm describes the full beauties, the full blessings of God's law. It's a complete meditation on the beauties and blessings of God's law. Well, here in Lamentations, the acrostic, it, excuse me, it helps us wrestle with the fullness of our grief. And so in other words, for those of us who might only be interested in learning the ABCs of grief, Lamentation says, hold on, not so fast. You need to study the A through Z of grief. Lamentations isn't just grief 101, but rather a grief masterclass taught by a leading expert in the field. And so again, remember the point here is that we would explore and develop the full range, the full range of our hearts and our souls, not just so that we might be sad, but so that we might be healed. Now to, to zoom in, no pun intended, uh, to zoom in on verses 19 and 20 tonight, uh, let's go ahead and look at that. I'll read it again for us. And I think defining some terms might be in order. So 19 and 20 say, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Now, you probably know uh, what afflictions and wanderings are. It's pretty straightforward. Um, the, the Hebrew words behind affliction and wanderings pretty much mean just that. Uh, if anything, they connote the sense of poverty or home homelessness. If you think of affliction or wandering, think utter poverty and homelessness. But you might not really know what wormwood or gall are. Um, and so simply put, wormwood is just a aromatic herb. It's a bitter herb, you know, used in dishes, used for medicinal purposes. And the word gall is just a word for, for bitterness. Uh, so here we have this poor, wandering, afflicted person who's just sitting in their bitterness. And he says, uh, my soul remembers how bitter it is. My soul remembers and is bowed down. And that phrase bowed down means depressed to the point of despair. That's the state of his soul, utterly, utterly cast down. To paraphrase these verses, we can say that, that here the soul is at the end of its rope that it's hit rock bottom, to use phrases we're familiar with. So clearly the writer of Lamentations, for him, his grief runs deep. And honestly, the scandal here is, is that not only are we encouraged uh, to acknowledge our deep grief, but we're invited to sing our deep grief, just as these words would have been sung uh, throughout the centuries. Now, as we kind of think about this, uh, how this prompts us or encourages us to sing of our deep grief, I want to address two questions. One, what good is that really? So what good comes of that? And two, how do we go about doing that? So um, first, uh, what good comes from training our hearts to sing of deep grief? Is there, are there any benefits to it? 
Um, I'm really glad you asked. Uh, we're gonna actually consider four benefits. Y'all, I just stole these from Charles Spurgeon uh, in a wonderful book called Spurgeon's Sorrows uh, written by Zach Eswine. So I take no credit for these, but I do take credit for yet again, another acrostic. So the four benefits are singing our deep grief accelerates our growth, binds us to Christ, challenges our foundations, and deepens our empathy for others. And I'm gonna give a little bit of, a little taste of Spurgeon for each of these points. So how does singing, training our hearts to sing deep grief accelerate our spiritual growth? Listen to Spurgeon, he says, depression of spirit is no measure of declining grace. The very loss of joy and the absence of assurance may be accompanied by the greatest advancement in the spiritual life. And then he says this, we do not want rain all the days of the week and all the weeks of the year, but if the rain comes sometimes, it makes the fields fertile and it fills the water brooks. What he's saying is that, that our sorrow over grief, when we sing it, it's like rain that, that waters the fertile soil and fills the river brooks. It accelerates our spiritual growth. It also binds us to Christ. Again, listen to Spurgeon. He says, I have found that there is a sweetness in bitterness not to be found in honey, a safety with Christ in a storm which may be lost in a calm. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Next, it challenges our foundations. Spurgeon just says, look, when your house has been made to shake, it has caused you to see whether it was founded upon a rock. That's exactly what grief and sorrow does. It, it makes us look and see if, our foundation is a solid rock. And then finally, uh, singing our deep grief, it deepens our empathy for others. Spurgeon writes, if we had never been in trouble ourselves, we should be very poor comforters of others. And he goes on to talk about how, look, if you've broken a bone, which would you rather have? A surgeon who herself has, has experienced the pain of a broken bone or a surgeon who has never had a broken bone. Which one do you think is going to, um, is going to uh, work on you, serve you, try to heal you uh, with a more tender, compassionate touch, and which might be a bit more rough? So singing our deep grief, it actually deepens our empathy for others. Well, that's some good that comes of it, but then how, how do we go about actually doing this? And I just wanna say, look, we can and should learn from the experts. And certainly the author of Lamentations is an expert in grief. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second. But I wanna propose two more examples of, of experts that we can learn from. In the history of God's people, have any people groups suffered more than the Jews and then African-Americans. Honestly, I challenge you to think of people who have suffered more than the Jews and African-Americans. 
And so what we need to do as we try to learn to sing our deep grief is reach for their hymnals. Reach for the Psalms. We said last week, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Go ahead and reach for the Psalms, meditate on them, sing them even. Meditate and sing Psalms like Psalm 6, which says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. Or Psalm 69, which says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Um, and if, if you're like me and you didn't grow up uh, singing psalms, um, let me recommend just kind of three musical artists that you can look up on iTunes or Google or Bandcamp or wherever you get your music, Spotify, um, because they've written songs, that they've put the psalms to music. And so they actually would help us to sing them. One is a group called Bifrost Arts. Another is a group called Shane and Shane. And then a third, probably the, 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 the least well-known of the three, is an artist known as Wendell Kimbrough. Wendell Kimbrough. K-I-M-B-R-O-U-G-H. All three of those artists have actually devoted um, some of their uh, catalog uh, strictly to the Psalms. So give them a listen and start to sing them yourselves. Reach for the Psalms, but also go ahead and reach for Black gospel music. Go ahead and tap into songs like He Will Supply, or Nobody Knows the Trouble I'm In, or His Eye is on the Sparrow. These are songs that, are, that have, born, have been born out of immense suffering, many of these, the, the suffering of slavery. And go ahead and learn them and sing them. This is not cultural appropriation. This is learning from our brothers and sisters in Christ who know what deep grief is and how to sing it. Well, as you do that, as you sing and study the Psalms, as you sing black gospel music, as you allow your griefs and sorrows to train your heart to sing in the minor keys, also remember that Lamentations doesn't leave you there. Lamentations also invites you to learn to sing in the major keys, the major keys of God's everlasting love. So look with me at verses 21 through 24. In the midst of his grief, the author here, the writer here says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I just want to focus on two things, both of which are coming out of verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 22. So two things out of verse 22. The first is that phrase, steadfast love. It's actually a notoriously difficult phrase to translate. I looked up four different English translations before tonight. 
and they translated that phrase four different ways. The Hebrew word is the word chesed, which at its core is a word that means a love that's not rooted in fickle human emotions, but a love that is rooted in divine promises. This is a love that flows out of real promises made in real time and space by our God, our covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And this word, this, this word chesed comes up again and again, especially when God is making promises to his people, whether that's through Abraham or through Moses or through David or for the whole people. And so that's why a lot of people will argue that one of the best ways to translate this term is to use the phrase covenant faithfulness. The covenant faithfulness of the Lord never ceases. But honestly, I actually like Sally Lloyd-Jones's translation. I don't really know if she's picking up on this one Hebrew word in particular, but uh, in her book, The Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones speaks of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's a really beautiful way uh, to understand the love, the everlasting love that God has for us. And so again, the point here is, is that this love is an unchanging love that's wedded to God's own covenant promises. He can't not love his covenant people without breaking or going back on his promises. And that brings us to the second thing I wanna point out about this verse. Um, if you have a Bible, if you're not looking at the handout, but if you have a Bible in front of you, chances are there might be a footnote on this verse. My, my ESV Bible has a footnote. And the, the footnote says, that this English translation, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, comes from translations of the Hebrew Bible from Syriac and Targum. We're not gonna go into that. What I wanna focus on is the footnote says, the Hebrew says, because of the steadfast love of the Lord, we are not cut off. We are not cut off. We are not cut off from God's presence, his love, his mercy. And again, consider the circumstances of Lamentations. Though everything around God's people, though all their circumstances and, and everything within God's people, all their feelings would try to convince them otherwise, they are not cut off. And so this is what it sounds like when a heart sings with hope in God's love, even from the brink of despair. This is not some fortune cookie faith. This is not self-help mantras that are masquerading as biblical Christianity. This is not Pollyanna pie in the sky belief that everything's just gonna turn out right in the end. Again, remember where these people are. Remember where the writer of Lamentations is. It's not like his team just won the Super Bowl. It's more like the star quarterback of his team just dislocated his shoulder and tore his labrum and his, all hopes are gone. 
it's not like he just found out that he got into, you know, his top choice for medical school and he's singing the steadfast love of the Lord. It never ceases. It's more like the pack just told him, we're sorry, but we don't recommend you apply for med school. It's not like he just sat down at a table in common surrounded by all of his closest friends. It's more like he's standing around tray in his hand, wondering where did all my friends go? Because remember, the author here, he's surrounded by death and destruction on every side. As bad as we think we have it now with this pandemic, with COVID, he had it a hundred times, a thousand times worse. Because for us today, because of the pandemic, you know, some of our major cities have kind of become ghost towns for several months on end. You know, stores had to shutter or go out of business. But then in 586 BC, Jerusalem was a ghost town for decades. I mean, people were lying dead in the streets. Uh, friends were carried off to Babylon in chains and shackles. People were starting to starve and do crazy manic things in their hunger. Buildings weren't shuttered, they were turned to rubble and the temple, the holy place, the place of love and hope and mercy, it was completely razed to the ground. Again, what we need to remember is this man, this, this person writing on behalf of the people, he is not singing of God's everlasting love from the mountaintops, but from rock bottom, from the brink of despair. Now, if God's people in 586 BC had reason to hope in God's everlasting love as all hell broke loose around them, how much more do we have reason to hope, those of us who are living on this side of the cross? I mean, think about it. During Jesus's crucifixion, he plumbed the depths of grief, both ours and God's. He was on the cross cut off so that we would never be cut off. And his resurrection and ascension, he conquered death and he assures us of our future victory over death so that we can have hope even as we hit rock bottom. What I really, really want us to focus on as we close tonight is what Jesus did after all of that, after his death and resurrection and ascension into, into heaven at the Father's right hand. Because what he did after that was he sat down in glory and from there, from a position of authority and glory and majesty and honor, he sent us the Holy Spirit. So again, let's return to the question, how do we develop our full range? How do we let our hearts sing of both life's griefs and the Lord's love? And the answer is through the Holy Spirit, which Jesus has poured into our hearts. You know, in the first couple chapters of Lamentations, there's this refrain. If you go back and read it, you'll notice it right away. And that refrain is, that there is no comforter. 
Jerusalem has no comforter, chapter one, verses two and nine. A comforter is far from me, was what God's people are saying in verse 16 of chapter one. There is no one to comfort again and again and again, but I'll stop there. You get the picture. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, in your grief, have you ever felt like there's no one to comfort you? I mean, do you feel that way maybe even right now, maybe tonight? The good news of the gospel is that ever since Pentecost, ever since Pentecost, believers in Jesus have never been cut off from their comforter. You know, last week we said you don't have to go looking for God in your grief. He's already there. The Holy Spirit poured into our hearts. That's the proof. That's the proof that you don't have to go looking for God. Because if you're a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with you when you feel his presence. And he's with you when you don't feel his presence. Jesus lived and died and rose again to send us the promised comforter to reside in us and to tune our hearts from the inside out so that we can sing of our deep grief and his everlasting love. As we close tonight, I just want to leave you with this one last image. If you've ever played in an orchestra or maybe you've been to an orchestra concert, uh, you know that at the start of the concert, the oboist stands up among all of her fellow musicians and plays one loud, long, clear note, a resounding A. And once that note is played, everyone starts tuning to it. And they do this for two reasons. First, when the oboe as an instrument is properly tuned, it has nearly perfect pitch. And second, by design, it is virtually impossible to adjust the oboe the day of a concert. You'd have to go and swap out the wooden reeds in the, in the instrument. Its pitch is unchanging and unchangeable. And so as we seek to tune our hearts to sing the fullness of our deep grief, and God's everlasting love, the Holy Spirit stands among us and within us and plays one long, loud, clear note of resounding grace. This note is in perfect pitch and it is unchanging and unchangeable. So the question is, will you hear it? Will you listen for it? Now imagine if when the oboe plays her, her A, all the violinists and cellists and percussionists put on noise-canceling headphones and tried to tune all on their own. Imagine the chaos, the cacophony. We need the Holy Spirit sent from the Father and the Son, our great comforter, to come and tune our hearts to sing both in the minor keys of our deep grief and the major keys of his everlasting love. And so, Will you ask him to do that in you tonight? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we do ask that you would tune our hearts to sing your grace. 
Lord, thank you for seeing us in our grief, for being with us, for never cutting us off, and promising your own love and faithfulness so that we can hope in you. Would you help us to do that tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.